Welcome to Tether Together, a podcast about friendship, care, and connection from Laura Interlandy and Erica Livingston of Birdsong Brooklyn. We're so glad you're here. Hi, friends. Welcome back to Tether Together. We're back again and excited to pick up where we left off. Today's episode is part one of a two-part series, which we are uh, lovingly addressing an analogy that we've been saying as long as we've been in practice, which is birth is to the wedding as postpartum is to the marriage. And it's an analogy we use that especially helps us when we're trying to explain postpartum to people that haven't been there yet. So today's episode, we're going to dig into part one of the analogy, which is birth is the wedding. And that will also take us over to part two, which will be our next episode, the sibling episode to this, which will be postpartum is the marriage. But we wanted to start by having a conversation about why we identify as postpartum centric full spectrum doulas. We love words, obviously. <laughs> we Word nerds. To... Word nerds. That's the other working title for this podcast. Uh, we love exploring different word containers and ways that we can better communicate, really, more clearly, more honestly, and more fully communicate nuanced ideas. Um, so the word doula has its own context, some of which are problematic, some of which are making their way into the popular lexicon. Uh, we're not going to unpack that today. That's worth its own whole episode, <laughs> but I wanted to mention it. Um, most people, when they think about a doula in the way that it pops up in media or just starting to become popularized is in the birth space. That's if somebody knows what a doula is, it's usually uh, associated with birth with a lot of confusion around the scope between a doula and a midwife. Also not going to unpack that today. Doulas are non-medical attendants to thresholds, I guess, is another way to put it. Um, I love that. So we see that happening a lot. And we would go to these meet the doulas events. And years ago, maybe like seven years ago in New York City, we would be like the only postpartum doulas at these events. And we would watch uh, the circle kind of move its way around and people introduce themselves. And we would just feel so invisibilized. And in feeling that invisibility, we also felt the invisibility of postpartum people and of the postpartum experience. And it wasn't just that we wanted to get hired, which obviously we did, but we, we totally did. <laughs> and, and we did. Um, but we also didn't want somebody who came to an event called meet the doulas to think that there was only one kind of doula and that they should spend all of the money that they had maybe saved to feel supported in their journey on one person in one role at one moment of the threshold. So we started to play with how to explain it. And it was Erica's 
funny, wry Mississippi uh, improv actor brilliance that put it all together to sort of say postpartum is the marriage, birth is the wedding, right? Birth is this moment and it's huge and it's important and it matters a lot and you deserve to have the one of your dreams. And also what about all of the days after? What about when everybody goes home? What about when all the gifts are unpacked and it's just you guys? And so we started to identify as full spectrum doulas when we added birth to our practice and we were postpartum from the go and then added birth. And that's not usually the trajectory of doulas that become uh, full spectrum. And, and we added miscarriage support and abortion support and like have eventually even trained in the death sphere, though we're not serving that sphere, but we support anyone going through the childbearing years kind of now, because there's also, we've both done experience with just like, um, trying to conceive and fertility awareness, fertility support. So as it got super complicated, what our offerings were, um, and there was definitely a period like that where things, it was just about some, um, expansion. One thing we didn't want to lose was our like grounded commitment to postpartum being first and foremost, well, it's our love language and it's the time that we love the most. And it's also feels the most like our calling. Do these other things support it? Yes. And I also think one of the kind of like, you know, our kids, um, our two eldest kids are best friends and they also have like a kind of club that they created a while back called sneaky business. We could probably do a whole episode just on that. Um, but one way that, that Laura and I are sneaky business is that we will attend your birth, but it's mainly so that we'll get to be at your postpartum. And we definitely both essentially became birth doulas as well as post doulas for sneaky business reasons, (laughs) which was in order to um, be able to support you in the postpartum time. And we started to realize that we would be even better at supporting people through their postpartum time period if we had already been on the journey with them through conception, through any form of loss, through miscarriage, and then through pregnancy, through birth. By that point, the relationship is so deeply one of trust that now we're getting to be the fullest of ourselves in that postpartum space in our ability to show up for people. And that sort of goes fully into, I mean, if you're supporting families, at any point in their journey, they're going to go through many things. They're not only going through birth and then they disappear on an escalator to nowhere. Like they continue to have experiences and they call you or they text you when they're weaning or their kid starts kindergarten or they're getting pregnant with their second child. And so it's a natural evolution. And also because we're nerds and I think the space of doula container fits us, fits our brains well is because we've always both been natural interdisciplinarians. Like we love where things meet and bump up against each other. Um, 
we want to learn about everything from policy to anthropology and, you know, activism and all of the places where all of those things move around each other and block each other or help each other flow and, and how we can unpack and untangle, um, systems really i think we're both that that's kind of where our brains are so when when we would go through something new in our journeys we would do nerd level research for our own supports and when our clients would go through things in their journeys we would also do that and all of a sudden we started to see how incredibly short-sighted um having a narrow a really narrow focus was and it wasn't so much that we thought everybody should become practicing full spectrum doulas, but it was um, exciting to our brains. And it was also exciting to, to us to meet people that were expert tenders of one threshold, expert miscarriage doulas, expert loss doulas, and to know um, in terms of like relational accountability and real community building when we were the right person for somebody and when to refer out. And it was only really through exploring those topics that we started to feel like, oh, these are, these are the times when I'm out of my depths here. And this is for somebody who's, who's an expert in this field. And this is where, um, where I can show up and support. And so I just want to make that clarification for some of our, our doula community student members that we're not trying to say that you should become all things for all people and do all the stuff, but there's, you cannot, stay in one lane, especially if you're not in community with others, that that's kind of, there's a little bit of their language. You need to be able to speak. Uh, if you're going to even communicate in a, in a conscious referral process, if you're going to really be able to vet your referrals and be able to know who does what well, you have to understand at least a little bit of what that thing is in order to be able to know if that person's going to be like a solid referral for a client of yours. So just to in kind of encompass this before we move into birth as wedding and explore all the ways that that analogy works, doesn't work, is complete, isn't complete, um, the edges of all of it. I, I also just want to say that we do love talking about birth. And, it, and we do love going into these other topics. And, and we both have had really different, um, po powerful, intense, traumatic, ecstatic, <laughs> and everything in between personal birth experiences. Um, we've both attended dozens and dozens and dozens of births at this point. Um, we have both attended hospital and in-home. We've both attended vaginal and cesarean, medicated. Like we have a ton of experience supporting and tending the birth space. Um, and I am doing a lot of birth doula work where I live right now. Um, and I enjoy it. And it, it is, it is fulfilling um, in and of itself. And we would, we'll probably talk about some birthy stuff coming up and we want people to have healthy, uh, connective, consent-based in the realm of okayness to 
positive <laughs> on the spectrum of trauma to transformation or the spiral of those two things more on the side of transformation whenever possible in terms of their birth experiences. Of course, we want that always because, truly because, we know what people are unpacking in postpartum. We know where people go into the depths of their own minds and into the level of trauma and looping and complex trauma that, that happens for people, not only in the moment in that hospital space when somebody says or does something that's tough or something goes away you don't want it to go, but because we know what people are going through when they're rocking a baby back and forth day after day, night after night, looping on their birth experience. And that's where one, one of the things we're gonna explore today and so it just, we just want to say first and foremost, that trauma-informed care by nature has to include aftercare. And so if you are a birth tender of any kind, if you are an OBGYN, a nurse, a midwife, a doula, uh, you know, any kind of, any person that comes into contact with the birth space or with the prenatal education space know that you cannot have trauma-informed birth care without comprehensive aftercare, period. You're not a trauma-informed practitioner if the next time you see someone is six weeks later. You're not a trauma-informed practitioner or doula if, if you show up with a onesie week two, help a latch, and then you're on your merry way and never the never again you meet. But it does mean you need to be doing things preemptively in the prenatal space and checking on people in the postpartum space in deeper ways than we currently do as our standards of care. So we do believe that if every person was preparing for a nourished postpartum by nature, we would be preparing for a healthy birth, an okay birth, but by centering birth constantly and exclusively in our, um, in all of the ways, in all of the pop culture, activism, um, this, you know, online, everything, by centering birth exclusively, we still lose people on the other side. So yes to healthy in all the ways birth experiences, but that's actually not enough and it's not good enough. And so we're going to unpack that today. I think it's so funny that we have to like talk for 12 minutes about why we're about to talk about birth. <laughs> we're like, I don't want to just come in here and start centering birth like everybody else does. So we have to like really put up all this scaffolding. 12 minute trigger warning. <laughs> 12 minute trigger warning. Your favorite postpartum doulas are about to center birth on an episode. <laughs> of their podcast. <laughs> Hi folks, before we dive deeply into today's episode, I just wanted to take a moment to answer the question that we get asked pretty frequently, which is how can I learn with you or where can we learn with Birdsong? Erica and I hold a yearly winter mentorship program. It begins on the winter solstice and travels through to the spring equinox and offers hundreds of hours of content within our learning portal from writing prompts, video content, self-care supports, resource documents, 
um, guests, uh, guest interviews, all kinds of things. Oh, and also we sprinkle a little bit of tarot in there. You'll find out. But if you are somebody who considers yourself a doula or wants to apply the doula lens onto the way that you show up in community, just know you're welcome here. We have mentored dentists, dance instructors, massage therapists, mental health clinicians, talent agents, uh, acupuncturists. I mean, some of the people that have come back year after year, and yes, people do come back year after year. Some of those folks are from a far-flung profession that you may not have even considered would be connected or tethered into doula work. And yet, when they're in the space, it just feels right. So if you're interested, fill out an application. If the uh, registration is closed or the time has passed to apply, um, then you will be placed on a wait list and you'll be the first to know next year. Okay, back to the episode. Yeah, so birth is the wedding. And I have so many thoughts about it. I mean, I definitely did it as well, right? This idea of preparing so much for, um, for the birth, um, thinking, so, spending most of the time in pregnancy, if this is my first pregnancy I'm talking about, um, or my first pregnancy that ended with a child. Um, and I spent a lot of that time focused solely on the birth. Um, I, it, and also it was the easiest thing for me to dream up and think about because, and this is again, like, of course, it's a lot easier to think about like one day or in the case of a birth, like the max I've ever heard anybody, even with the most intense, long labor and birth four days. Um, so that's like, a festival, like <laughs> a long weekend. Um, right. It's a lot easier to wrap your mind around a day or a long weekend than it is to wrap your mind around forever. <laughs> right. Like, so that, that's one thing I just want to normalize here that it's fine that we center birth in some ways. Of course we do, because it's so much easier to think about a small encapsulated time period where this, 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 and this is going to happen. And it's almost like, um, when I think about the years that I was doing, like acting and improv, I was in this group called a Commedia dell'arte troupe. And what we used to do in shout out to like other theater nerds here. So in our Commedia dell'arte, the structure that we worked in, it was an improv troupe, but it was like with these very decadent, incredible costumes that I would still really love to wear. And so we were improvising, but what we had is a loose structure and then everything that would kind of happen in the middle was improv so we always knew that it was going to be like we started this way a few events are definitely going to happen we're always going to end this way um and then all the in between that was malleable and changeable birth is like that right birth is very much like that and planning for birth is like that we know we're going to start this way we know we'll probably end up this way but all the stuff that happens in between is probably going to be flexible and malleable and might change and might be different. And we spend all this time preparing for birth because we want to always also know what are all those different malleable changes in the middle and how can we prepare for them. Um, and it's really easier to think like that than it is to prepare for postpartum 
which is, you know, we always say it's showing up when the going gets boring. It is longer. It's monotonous. Um, it's something that's not centered a lot. So we don't actually know that much about it. The education around it is still very like, um, out there and in the cracks, um, hard, harder to find. Um, and so the desire to want to think and prepare solely for birth, I think comes from it's, it's easier, right? And when I think about the analogy that we're going to keep going around here, right? Birth is to the wedding, the same with the wedding versus a marriage. It's so much easier. There's a whole world around planning for a wedding, right? There's people who make their whole professions just as wedding planners. And there's all these things that we're going to do for that day. But then when you think about the idea, I mean, unless I guess you're like Esther Perel or somebody, I'm shout out, like love Esther Perel, but like, unless you're someone like that, when you think, oh, and now let's plan for our marriage, that is so huge and it's so long. And it also is going to have some showing up when the going gets boring inside of it. It's monotonous and ongoing. And there's a lot of stuff in there that's like really boring compared to like the place cards or the flowers or like, what is the music going to be? Am I going to change clothes multiple times? Like all of these exciting, fun things versus um, how are we going to communicate with each other when things are hard? What will it be like when we go through loss together? What, who will do all of these different details of the home? What is money? What is my money story and your money story? And how's that going to look when we intertwine it? Like these are such bigger topics. They're harder to address and, um, and they don't have kind of like the glitz. And that's like a commonality between like birth and wedding too, right? Birth is like the glitz. It is the emergent moment. It is the like, oh my gosh, like I lost my last plug. Like it's that like exciting moment. And, I, you know, no, in no way are we trying to take any of that away as well. Like we're aware, we like it too. We're into the oxytocin. We're into the adrenaline as well. Um, I don't want to suck it away from you because it's yours. Cause I do think there's some vampiric moments that I see in the birth world and the birth culture that is like that, but I do not want to squash it either. Birth is exciting, emergent, um, adrenaline based, like, um, even might I say sometimes fun, um, in the best case scenario. Um, and weddings feel like that too. There's something to look forward to. It has a bit of ceremony and celebration built into it. Um, yeah, but it, it still doesn't mean that we shouldn't, that we just drop everything else afterwards. So two things. One is I just never want to forget the Commedia dell'arte theme <laughs> mixing with birth. And I think that this is the only podcast where that will be happening, right? That's like when we, when, we else. when you hear you got a niche down, <laughs> you got a niche down. That's not our problem, Erica. That's not <laughs> our problem. So I just, you know, when people are teaching public speaking or something and they're like, like, if you learn one thing from us today, here's, here it is. Okay. So when people are teaching public speaking, they're like, imagine everyone in their underwear, which isn't a good idea to ever do. Um, but that analogy, not trauma informed, not trauma informed. 
Um, but I do think it might be helpful at some point before you birth to try to picture all of the medical personnel in Commedia dell'arte costumes. I love it. So if you're ever having like a tough moment in your birth space where you just feel like everyone's just imagine them in these like frilly collars and like really dramatic makeup and it's really tights, tight, lots, of, lots tights. of tights. Okay. So I had to just say that because I was sitting on that for so long. Um, <laughs> Or if you have to go back to your OB that you were not into or that you had a tough birth with, that's another podcast episode. But I I invite you to imagine them, uh, not scrubs, but Commedia dell'arte. That might be helpful because sometimes humor (laughs) is the medicine we need. Uh, (laughs) Okay. And then the second thing I want to highlight too, right, is there's everything that Erica just said about of course we want to have this monumental day, right? Or multi-day experience. Many people's weddings are multi-day experiences too. Um, we We wanna be able to be witnessed or be held, be supported, be celebrated. We want to be able to have that moment on the other side of, of a vow or a commitment or whatever somebody does where you get to then embrace or kiss or whatever your cultural tradition is where you, it is that, that moment of like exhale and togetherness and, um, celebration where it goes, you go through the journey of the preparation and the nerves and the everything and, and really then get to fall into, um, some sort of feeling of like both accomplishment and like newness, like there's, that's really what I see that threshold as, um, it, you're really on both sides at the same time in the portal of like that day. Um, and all of the innocence that comes with like falling in love and, and wanting, and even if obviously this, um, analogy completely falls apart, um, if you live outside of, you know, the, if you're never going to have children or never going to have a wedding or commitment ceremony, and that's cool. I totally see that. But right now, what I want to unpack is that we cannot unsee these thresholds because we all live inside of a very toxic overculture, dominant culture, where these are the things that from tiny, tiny us have been held up as markers of human achievement. Even if you've done a ton of work unpacking that, which most people haven't, I mean, I hadn't fully, I'm sure I still haven't fully unpacked that, but certainly hadn't by the time I got married. Um, I, I think that there's the wise innocence that falls in love and is really driven by that or that is pregnant and is just like, it's all going to be okay. Cause like I, I got you and you got me and we're all good, you know, and all of that, I want to breathe life into and keep alive because that is the sacredness of our human journey. Um, And there's like all of the shit that's been poured on top of that innocence that is almost impossible to separate ourselves from where we've grown up thinking that in order to have a relationship feel valid, it needs any kind of anything right? That actually romantic relationships in this very narrow constraint format are it, right? That parenthood is it. There's these moments of arrival and achievement and they come with these bells and these whistles and these sort of um, 
playing out of a Commedia dell'arte play, basically. Everyone has has some version of like the drunk uncle or great aunt Susan or whatever it is. Um, every, you know, and that that we all even want the same things when it comes to that. And so I just want to like breathe into the conversation that we're very consciously centering dominant culture narrative here in this analogy, because dominant culture narrative is also what people encounter in the birth space. Even if people live far outside of dominant culture, even if you are a single queer parent by choice, you know, if you are like your journey looks really different, you still have to encounter those systems and the constraints that they place on practical things like the choices you even have available, like what kind of care providers you're going to come into contact with and how you may have to educate them on the care you know you need. And I think it's just so important to to just name that and to name that while in the perfect scenario, we have like a wedding um, planner that really hears us and sees us and wants to essentially doula us and usher us across the threshold. We actually don't encounter that more often. We It's like somebody who's going to execute a plan that's ba- based on it, like a bunch of magazines. And, and hopefully I know there's there's some amazing wedding planners out there that like change people's experience and allow them to relax and release and enjoy that day. And that's awesome. But in terms of even just unpacking what a marriage means, it's like, well, or what a wedding means, have people taken the second to detangle, is this the hologram of what I think I'm supposed to need and want in order to be valid in our culture? Or is this like a from within experience. And I would argue that if you projected into the future to the kind of marriage that you wanted in five and 10 years after that wedding, and then tracked that back to say, well, how could that be represented in a day, in a celebration? Like if you want to be cared for by your family and your friends and you want to have counsel with them when the going gets rough, how would that be represented in a ceremony? How would that be named? And this is why when we don't center the long haul and we just center this sort of surprise, like commodification of a massive human moment that is an innocent fool's leap, we cause a lot of harm. We cause a lot of harm. And we, I don't personally think that divorce is akin to failure. For some people, that's like the biggest accomplishment in their life. Um, so I'm not saying that, but we see, Erica's putting thumbs up, um, the secret lives of Erica Livingston. Um, but we do know that, you know, m- there are m- so many, 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 many unhappy marriages out there. Um, some of which, many of which end in divorce and, and some of which do not and just, just linger on through time. And so let's really like be with the discomfort of that. Like, why do we keep walking into the same traps in these same moments? And a, a huge part of that, if we can't apply a critical framework of thinking, be willing to dissect dominant culture and that within us that's still addicted to it or still programmed with it, then we're not going to be able to make new choices. And that's, that's really what we're doing here in this podcast today. Yeah. There's something in there that 
that I want to um, pull through, which is like this. Uh, it's like half baked, so bear with me here. But like, <laughs> I do think, as someone who has had a wedding, so I am, I am a divorced, and I'm in partnership now, and I'm not married to my partner and the father of my children. Um, we do plan to do it at some point, but again, like once you've already done it once, you think really different about, or we, I think really different about what I would like things to be, um, for the next time. But, um, and I've had births. So in thinking about like this analogy of birth and wedding, one kind of commonality that I can see for sure in my wedding, because I had it when I was 23, such a little babe. Okay. Little, um, and it was beautiful and amazing and a lot of fun and a lot of good things there. And also I don't remember most of it. And I lived like, even though it was outdoors, I was on the ceiling. Um, I couldn't eat. Um, and I felt an immense amount of pressure to perform. I literally did perform um, at my wedding. And so I do did you do Commedia Della? No, I knew <laughs> I could see you going for the unmute button. I knew what you were going to say before you even did it. <laughs> no. Um, and, you know, granted, there was like, I, you know, I was being, I was getting married at a time where I was performance was my life and what I was doing all the time. And I was also everyone in my wedding party, almost they were all performers. So it wasn't like out of, you know, no one was forcing me to do it either either. Right. But I was playing into a lot of what I thought I should be doing and for sure, making so many of the choices on what I thought I should be doing to please other people. And that's not just, you know, like people pleasing, we could do a mini part series on that. Um, and what it is to recover from that. But at this point I was in the height of my people pleasing. And I definitely see some commonalities between that and birth. So many people, um, especially people that I've cared for in just the postpartum space, when we are unraveling their birth stories, similar, right? Um, lived on the ceiling, really having a hard time coming home down into the self again afterwards, not even being able to fully remember or put all the pieces together, definitely not in order, you know, um, and the memories of it coming up, uh, over the course of like a year. I mean, it is kind of like PTSD. It's like trying to piece together a story that you kind of had, you put, spent all this time planning for. And then when it came, you checked out and you, and, not, and it's not you doing that wrong. Okay. I'm not shaming anybody for that. I'm just saying, I see that as we spend so much time dreaming and then taking those dreams into the practicals by planning. And then we get to the moment that the plan is going to happen. And then we are like forced to check out for so many reasons. One of them being that it's not going the way we wanted it to, or that we like are so overwhelmed by the fact that it might be that that's a lot too. And so I just see a commonality there about um, the difficult, what we don't plan for here enough, especially in birth, but I think also in weddings, but like, I'm not a wedding planner um, and I've only had one. Uh, but is that we, but we don't plan enough about how we're going to enjoy it. That's a tough word to use probably, because I think it could really be pushing on 
young people who have already had really tough experiences thinking like, how would I have even enjoyed any of that? But I do believe there's a possibility for that. And I have a big hope that there's a possibility. Like joy specifically is something that we are committed to, like Laura and I and our business, we're committed to trying to find, dig for, pull up, value, harness, um, you know, and fight for. Um, And I don't necessarily see that being uh, one of the threads of the way we plan for birth is the ability to um, be in the body, at least for part of it, um, to be able to uh, stay grounded in what's happening. Um, I think we spend a lot of our time planning on how to not do that. And then the way the systems that are supporting the birth experiences currently in our culture um, almost depend on the fact that you're not going to hold to your joy and that you're not going to hold to um, your plan and that you are going to just kind of move into uh, be like be swept away by what's going to happen to you instead of the plan that you have uh, made together, hopefully with your care team and what would be happening with all of you present. Does that make sense? I know I like, you know, it is kind of a half-baked thing, but like, it's something that's a thread that I just haven't seen before of this analogy of, um, well, and the, the kind of sadness and the irony of all of it is that um, these are events for most folks. And, and, you know, there are some, some people that are dealing with, with serious medical um, they know their baby would pass as soon as, as birth came or, or something, you know, that, that, that is encapsulated in and around birth in our definition of birth. So not every single person going into birth is going in with joy at the forefront. Um, and also, uh, every single person values from having, uh, a tra- not just a trauma informed experience, but a, a really like held human experience. Like, especially if that person is going to be dealing with something for sure on the other side, that's going to be really difficult. Um, because the, the irony and this, the sadness is that for most people, these are planned joyful events. These are, these are events that even if they didn't plan their pregnancy, they are planning to enjoy their child you know, that, that is most people's journey. And so we take this thing that, and this is also what I mean about thinking. It's really important to think critically outside of a vacuum, like think critically at all of the ways in which we have created an idea before we've ever even been pregnant or ever thought about family building about family and pregnancy and birth. Um, that's almost like a, a cognitive dissonance where we kind of know that things are going to be really, really, really hard. Like everybody has this sort of like, Oh, I'm never going to sleep again. Like feeling they've learned that, but they've also ingrained this like diaper commercial, glowy, dewy skin. Everything's amazing. Like they, both of those things have like accordioned into itself to be like, yeah, it's going to be like really traumatic and hard in these kinds of ways. And and I'm sort of clenching my butthole already thinking about that. And then also it's going to be like super, I'm going to just know how to do everything. And I'm just going to like walk into caregiver 
um, Hall of Fame day one because that's what's expected of me also. And that'll all just be facilitated by the outpouring of love that I will instantaneously feel as soon as my baby's on my chest, even if I went through a major trauma for that moment. Like that's what people are unconsciously thinking is going to happen to them in the moment of birth regardless of how birth goes. And one of the most toxic things that can happen in this space, whether it's, you know, one of the big box chains trying to get you to sign up for a registry, whether it is somebody trying to get you to hire them for, you know, doula care, like wherever this is showing up um, in the commodification of this threshold is, is the many places where, where we're not talking about unpacking that before we cross. We're, we're sort of just gathering people's unconscious beliefs and then piling childbirth ed on top of that and thinking, okay, new idea, new idea. Why is it that in the wedding scenario, there is a bachelorette party? So I want to talk about what's that for birth and my idea. I mean, it's tough. Okay. Because what I really want is like a celebratory gathering with you and your friends Maybe it's like a birth blessing, but like, I wish that there was a celebratory gathering with you and your friends before your birth, where grief was allowed to be present, where the myth, what you're talking about, like, I like to call that the bliss myth or like Pampers has failed us is another way I like to talk about it. Um, Let's sponsor our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) But like, don't. But don't. <laughs> but like, how much? <laughs> oh, yeah. So you would demystify the myth with a group of your friends and be allowed to uh, move into more of a reality based space right before. And I, you know, I think in the best case scenario, this is like a birth blessing environment. It's definitely not a baby shower. Just want to put that out there. The closest thing I can think of is the, is a birth blessing, but I think that it could be expanded even further. Um, but an environment like a bachelor party that does, a, but it, instead of just like hyping up and like, I don't know what, it, what I, like I don't even really want to talk tough, about what like really happens. Stuff. <laughs> I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> I'm not talking about wearing dick hats before your birth. Okay. What I'm talking about is having an acknowledged celebratory what if the, honoring what if, space. What Go if ahead. the straws that you Stop. had at your birth? were you know okay they were from that yeah but like more more laughter you know more laughter but it's like Um, I mean we have to basically unpack like how you know all of these thresholds have within them these events like I've never experienced there's so much to unpack in like even what even a bachelorette party is or about, you know, it gets so gendered and it's so commodified. I don't want to do that podcast. (laughs) I don't want to do that podcast either, but it just speaks more to like, what's like, what's not present, I think is what we're really touching on. Like what we understand what is present commonly, but what's not present is like, the looking in the eyes and like, how do you feel really? 
Yeah, I really see that too in the way that people are. Well, first of all, it's so hard to be pregnant right now because of the informational overload. Um, it's so confusing to move through everything. I am constantly seeing that. I think that the clients that I serve and uh, I'm seeing in the world right now of pregnancy um, are like, there's this feeling like you have to like use your nine months to go to school, to be an OB, to have a baby, <laughs> you know, you just like have to take in so much information and like which books and which courses and which guides and which people. And, you know, you're being marketed to so aggressively um, everywhere you turn that then it becomes this really challenging journey to figure out who you trust and what way you want to plan. And that's why I think a lot of the ways that people do plan for their births, um, first of all, definitely rarely can include postpartum in, in mainstream right now. That's still, you know, I know in the worlds that we walk, everybody's planning for postpartum. Um, but that's people who know about like us, which again, we is a very niche <laughs> Commedia dell'arte meets birth and postpartum topic, but in mainstream, in the mainstream world, planning for postpartum is still not kind of moved fully in. And so in the birth sphere of like, I'm getting ready for my birth, what do I need to do in mainstream? There's just like a small checklist of what everyone does. And then if you go even further out from that, it's like the next step is just complete overwhelm. So not only is there not planning for postpartum, but there's also not even planning for uh, things within the pregnancy and birth that would really serve the emotional journey of the pregnancy and birth, which is kind of completely left out of the planning. It's like, how many childbirth eds do you know where they are really talking about that, right? It's like, I feel like most people in America specifically, and you can speak to Canada, I feel like people are planning to survive. I know that is so tough, but that's just really what I want to say is that people are planning to survive. And I see people hiring doulas for that reason too. Hiring doulas so that they make it out. <laughs> I am like, you know, hiring doulas as, um, you know, bulldogs um, or, you know, uh, gates, like hiring a doula as a wall around you, a protector, um, and planning for birth in this way of, I need to know everything. And all of this comes from a distrust in the system. And well, and of course, because why would we right now trust the systems of birth in America, you know? Um, the outcomes right now are pretty terrible. And so um, this is where, you know, we talked about at the beginning of the podcast that we were going to talk about where the analogies like um, where these analogies work and where they don't, you know, it's a, it's a small little thing we've been saying for years. Um, and we wanted to break it down because there's a lot inside of it. One of the ways that the analogy doesn't work is no one is worried about dying at their wedding. And no one's planning for their wedding in that manner. And for sure, there is there are many people planning for their birth that way. And there is like that 
there is a piece inside of how we plan for birth that always has been that way, even when they're even in, not in this moment of history, you know, birth has always been looked at as like a, a veil walk, right? Like a walking between worlds. There has always been the, um, acknowledgement of the risks involved of what it is to, you know, birth a person into this world, the risks for the person birthing, the risks for the person being born. Um, but currently right now, like that's one of the plays inside of it all too. And that's so for real and that's so legitimate and, and should be acknowledged. And that's also another reason why we aren't planning for joy and why we're not planning for groundedness and why we're not planning for um, so many things, because right now it's about survival. And this is a, a good moment for us to make a note, to put in the footnotes, just of sort of the latest stats of birth in America and the maternal mortality index. Um, and this will be you know, this won't be new for people in the birth work world. Hopefully this isn't new to you, but for many people who are not um, listening, the disproportionate rates of mortality for black birthing people, particularly in America um, and people of color birthing in America and different, different states have different stats, but it's a, it's a crisis. Like it's literally a crisis that's happening in America. And, um, also in the UK, we're looking at similar recorded uh, racial disparities for birth. And in Canada, what I would say is, I mean, I've only been a, a doula in one area of Canada, so I do not speak from an embodied lived, I'm, I'm a white settler. Um, and I, that is how I experience being a birth doula in both home birth settings with midwives and hospital settings with OBGYNs. Um, and my experience here thus far has been um, almost like a total freeze and uh, inability to have conversations about or or that they're not happening or they're only happening um, in small vacuums. And there's a, a, a big dependence or there's a big resistance from the white uh, community to to really engage in these conversations unless we're at the edge of like a call out or like we're invited into one that's already prepaid or something like that. Like we're really immature. I feel in, in my social, uh, social professional sphere. And I would imagine that's more than just, I, I live in a fairly quote unquote progressive place, which also reads as pretty white dominant. Um, and there's, and I also maybe in the, in the notes, will uplift some of the organizations that are, uh, black led and indigenous led here that are doing really amazing work on not some particulars around uh, maternal mortality, but also in Canada, but also just around the uh, advocacy piece in general for birthing people of color in Canada. Um, one thing I do know is that we don't have the stats that the UK has and the US has, we do not record racialized data in Canada in the same way, which tells you everything you need to know about where Canada is in discussing race. Um, really harmful because what if we're doing great with it? We Then we don't have anything to share about what we're doing different. What if we're just as bad or worse, then we're not held accountable. You know, it's it, it doesn't make for better statistics. So 
Um, the other thing I, I want to to add on to that is that you know when we look at this, we see it as a spiral of trauma and transformation. Any major life threshold, we step back and we see it as this wow, this is a huge moment of like contraction and expansion and all the stuff from the past coming up. And um, so much is present here, whether that is, you know, when you move somewhere, what about when you just like pack up a house and you move to a new place? What about when you um, not just have a child, but that child goes through something major, you know, they start their first day of school and you have this whole different rhythm to your life or they leave for college or you wean them or, you know, your partner loses their parent or something like there's these big thresholds we cross in life where everything gets kind of put in the blender and comes out like different than, than it went in. And, um, with something as the, one of the ways in that our analogy falls apart is that, Birth is a completely full body, somatic, physiologic turning inside out, complete opening, complete shakeup. And whether you birth vaginally or surgically, that is true. That is true. That is true. That is true. So in the way that we are, um, you know, in the way that there are real risks, involved with birth that are real and true for folks, especially um, people of color and marginalized people birthing in toxic uh, medical industrial complex scenarios. Um, there are, there's also, even if we say, okay, birth is normal and it's natural and sure it's emergent, but it's also not always an emergency, which that's the space that we definitely hold as birth doulas. We're not white knuckling it, thinking something terrible is going to happen to our client or to their baby. We do, we do trust. We do trust that this is a natural moment in the human experience, the human physiologic experience. And a lot of that comes from our self-location that has like a, a ridiculous amount of privilege and what we've had access to, what we haven't had to deal with, et cetera, et cetera. So, so really stating that. But even when we are preparing our clients for birth or we are supporting a postpartum client in processing the, uh, their birth, we, we must acknowledge, even if that person wants, you know, a unicorn assisted orgasmic water birth, <laughs> which like, I want that for you. I do want that for you. I love that for you if that's what you want. And I want you to have that. Um, there's got to be an acknowledgement that there are not many other events in life that are this full body, all systems, like your heart rate changes, your blood pressure changes, your temperature changes, your, your brain, legs, your brain changes, your arms shake, your legs shake, like there, your digestion shifts, you throw up sometimes, like every part of your body is reacting to this event. And then something that is at the complete edge of anything you've ever done before in terms of intensity, it, it is like birth is to the wedding. If the wedding also had a major trauma that you also had to like kind of run a marathon in, like <laughs> that's another place that the analogy falls apart is that we have to recognize and, and Erica stated it at the beginning. And I think we'll go into a little, a little bit before we close. Cause we have to, while we don't want anyone to experience unnecessary trauma and our birth prep is a lot about 
sifting through people's past experiences and what they want and what makes them feel safe and who their care team is and the questions to ask to mitigate, hopefully, to mitigate trauma and to to guide them, support them on a journey that will be um, more rooted and consent-based and feel okay for them. We have to acknowledge that on the other side of birth, it's like talking to somebody, it is talking to somebody who's experiencing PTSD. As postpartum-centric doulas, we have to say that. And, and that's not being said so clearly. And that doesn't mean that people don't love their babies or that they're not able to be also present with their babies. It doesn't mean that they hated their birth or that they loved their birth or anything value-based commentary about greater or less than. But what we see in the eyes of people, what we feel in the bodies of people when we're rubbing down their legs, when we're feeding them broth, when we are holding the space for them to unwind and unsealing and re-enter their bodies is that people are looping and people are in a trauma state and hopefully with with deep support they come they integrate they they re-enter and they integrate and with enough sleep and support and etc so I feel like Erica has more to say on this, on the, on the looping piece and the witnessing piece. Um, do I? <laughs> do you? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I do think that looping is a really normal part. I feel like it's a bit into the post, you know, I, I already feel myself like wanting to wrap because I want to talk about postpartum and we were like, we're going to talk about birth as the wedding. And I can feel myself so deeply wanting to go over into why postpartum is the marriage and like the looping is part of that. Right. And yeah, so that's probably for the post it is because, but I, you know, I don't want to skirt it right now either. Well, like, maybe to, maybe to, to sort of set that up and that, that's how we can open the next episode is just, I think to just name some things. So name some things that tend to be true about birth from the perspective of, of a postpartum centric doula. So what tends to be true about birth is like Erica said earlier, um, you can kind of sketch what the main events might be but then there will be things in it that are different than you thought. So that's just something that, that tends to be true about birth that we're, we're going to talk about on the other side in postpartum. What also tends to be true is that it's, it's tough. Like it's a lot of physical physiologic effort and often requires losing sleep or not getting proper rest in or even just to go through like a 12 hour labor. You know, most yeah. people experience some of that in the nighttime or they birth at like 10 PM and then they're like in a tough hospital sleep scenario. So there's, there's often like, we're, we're going to have to deplete in order to get our babe through or our out. Yeah. And same with surgical birth. Absolutely the same. There's also another truth is that we are, we're often encountering people we do not know that well or at all. And sometimes many of them, if you are in a, let's say you go in for an induction, you might have four teams, five teams cycle through 12 hour shifts. And with that, it's the most intimate, sensitive parts of your body that are the most likely to hold trauma that are being touched, poked, prodded, um, activated. And 
maybe you have planned pain relief, maybe you do not, but even if you do have planned pain relief from the beginning of an induction, um, there's still going to be an activation. There's still going to be a, a shakeup. And we do know that people who are survivors of physical and sexual trauma um, often feel activated by birth and just by proximity to hands on their bodies. Even if someone plans a cesarean to avoid, you know, if they have known sexual trauma and they plan a cesarean because they do not want to birth a baby vaginally, um, there's still going to be lots of hands on their body they're still going to have arms strapped down in the cesarean. Um, there's just like a lot that actually goes on just like on paper, true things, things that tend to be true about birth. Um, and then your most vulnerable moments are often pretty exposed, like just mm -hmm. period. Like that's, yeah, that's what I was going to talk about was like a truth about birth is the emotional journey is going to take you to probably the furthest edge you've been to for most people emotionally. Uh, that is a part that is very hard to plan for. And does that mean we shouldn't? No, <laughs> definitely should plan for it. Um, but that's, that's one of those things I was thinking about earlier of like, what do I wish was in every childbirth ed? Like one of them would be planning for the emotional things that can surface during birth. Um, you mentioned a lot about trauma or past traumatic experiences surfacing. I also like in my birth experience, like desires that I had not had maybe since I was a very young child of wanting my biological mother who I don't know in person and have not met in person. Um, so things can come up um, that I think are would that would have been a lot easier to deal with if I had even had any idea that that could be a possibility. So thinking in the realm of impossible um, while planning for what might be suddenly very possible. The other thing that I think is very true about birth, kind of in the same less practical, um, maybe I'm going a little esoteric even, but um, is surrender. So um, there's always a moment of surrender always in every birth, no matter how planned it is, no matter how, uh, no matter if it is the unicorn assisted dolphin birth, um, there's always a moment of surrender. One of the dolphins couldn't show up and had to call in a different one. Like there's always some moment, no matter what the journey is, where things don't go as planned and there must be a moment of surrender. And there is even inside of, I think every birth, um, this is so difficult, but there's defeat. Um, there just is, there is a defeat moment. And does it mean that the birth isn't like a win, <laughs> like in the big picture? Um, that's such a weird way to even look at it, but that's the word that's coming forward is that there's like surrender and defeat. Um, you know, we commonly hear about that inside of transition and inside of people saying, I can't do this. I just, I think everybody has that moment um, of, I can't. Um, well, and you know, you and I have both had home births and had, I mean, I have had home and hospital I've had medicated and intervened with and non-medicated. And I mean, all birth is intervened with to some degree, if you're having you a birth attendant, you know, so, um, we, we live totally outside in our brains. We work very hard to, to deconstruct any hierarchy of birth. And we, 
Um, That's why we always joke about the dolphins. We always we're joke not about trying the to dolphins. center that the dolphins are the ultimate. I mean, I don't know. No. I haven't had a dolphin assisted birth. But, but what um, I, yeah, one thing I want to be clear on is that even as someone who has had a home birth that on paper, baseball card stats, like you say, was as I wanted it to go, I absolutely felt in multiple moments totally defeated. Yeah. Same. Like, like right before pushing was like, I'm, I'm going to go, you guys stay here, do this. I'm going to go. Cause this yeah. is and terrible. I mean, like, so the, like when we say the the I'm going to go is also like, I'm going to die. I'm going to, yeah, that's the, that's the real truth of how hard that I'm going to go is because there's no way out in those moments other right like and so to to say defeat does not even necessarily mean it's not even enough it's not even a big enough word (laughs) so then also what else is possible in birth and I want to say these I want to maybe end the podcast on uh, on a high note or on a on a way on a more heartwarming note because I know this is a very difficult conversation that if you are listening to it pregnant you're like fuck, what did I do? Um, get it? Like what, how do I, you know, exit, um, this, but, and if you are postpartum, a lot of this might be shaking up your birth experience. And I w- we want you to go and grab, you know, some, some nettle or some oat straw or some broth or like a funny show or call your bestie or put on, you know, a dance. Or get in one of our support groups. <laughs> or come all up in one of our support groups and we will, we will hold you in the aftercare of you processing this episode. But we're, we're, we really do want to talk about the hard things because we think that the not talking about the hard things means that the hard things continue to happen unnecessarily. And so yeah. happy to be a activation point. Um, and also want to like wrap you in some love um, before we, before we say bye-bye. So what is also possible in birth, there's also uh, wells and wells and wells of strength that we discover in ourselves that never existed before. There's also oxytocin is, is not only possible, but like how it happens. So when we talk about needing to center joy, like what the thing is, that's physiologically and biochemically, what would make it go better? So it's not just like, oh, we all deserve like to have a good time and at least have 10 minutes where we're like listening to Dolly Parton and like feeling good with like a donut, like yes to that. And also like, maybe that should be the process of an induction instead of like, let me get up in you with like a balloon. That's for sure on my ultimate birth plan. (laughs) It's the ultimate birth plan is like what brings you joy. And really um, when we can access um, oxytocin in the birth space, which many people do get a a moment of that, an hour of that, a few hours of that, uh, find it on the other side or find it at some point in labor, whether that is like eyes closed deep within listening to a playlist, whether that is laughing with nurses who you're getting along with really well, whether that is like the random music that is in the cab on the way to the hospital or like whatever, either funny, it could be funny, awkward, sweet, vulnerable, tender, um, expansive. There's, I have yet to find somebody who hasn't looked back on their birth experience with full processing, because there's lots of people that have a lot of birth trauma. Um, but after full processing, found a sliver of some kind of available joy, some kind of retrospective, 
wow, I forgot about that. Oh my God, that was so sweet. I always think that that is the answer too, especially if people have had births that they would categorize as like frustrating, upsetting, disappointing, or even at the farthest worst place, like traumatic. Um, Those, the question that comes up frequently then when I'm doing birth story processing with people, birth experience processing is, well, what am I going to tell my baby when they get older about the birth and the medicine of what you're sharing is the answer to that. I think, um, I don't think we have to tell, especially when our kids are kids. Um, we don't have to tell our kids every single detail of a journey that was strugglesome. Um, but it is so valid to sift through and find the moments that are like the funny conversation conversation with the cab driver or the, the nurse that just said the pivotal thing, like the, these moments of like connection with, if there's a partner present, like the slow dancing before you transferred, um, the, all of these things, um, make up like the little nuggets of story that do define the experience, um, as something other than just like the, what happened, those are the details of life. Those are like the nuggets that are the most important um, as well. And I think they can get left if you aren't um, guided almost, if you don't have someone to remind you of that, it can be easy to just um, to spiral on just the tough town moments and not seek for those beautiful moments. And I think that those are like the funnest part to tell you know, and those are also the things that become familial story. And from the point of I'm pregnant, listening to this, what my advice would be there in planning your birth is um, plan to have the best case scenario story plan to tell a good story. And so like, I always think about this with early labor specifically, like make early labor, like the best story you could possibly make it especially if you're just in early labor at your house, that's a place where you've still got probably a good few morsels of control. So go to your favorite restaurant or order your favorite meal in or watch your favorite movie or listen to the amazing podcast. If listen to the playlist, like listen to all the things, do all the things that you can do that are kind of the dreamy plan stuff before you move into the place where you need pain management or you need a lot more assistance or you're kind of going into like into yourself more because then you have those things you have the romantic slow dancing um I mean if you want an orgasmic birth just like go (laughs) diddle yourself in early labor and there you got it (laughs) wow I don't know how to follow that. I don't know how to follow that either. (laughs) That was very much you channeling your maternal line right there. That sounded like your mother. That sounded, it did. It did. You really brought Lise in right there with the, it really brought in the the diddling. diddling. It's a diddling. No, it's a diddling. Yeah. Diddling. diddling. (laughs) How do you spell it? D I D L. Uh, You know, yeah, diddle. Ling. D-I-D-D-L-E. I-N-G. I guess. L-E. Yeah, I, and you take the E off for the I-N-G. Yeah. Yeah. Diddling. Yeah. That'll be in our um technical term. Comprehensive um dictionary of self. Um and with that also is I think 
first of all, it it feels like we can and should have a whole episode about processing, integrating birth Hmm. in the postpartum space, because it's very different about like us sitting here years later from our births. And like right now, you know, our kids aren't in the room in this particular moment, we can kind of go there. But when you're an early post and you're with your babe and you're not getting a lot of sleep, we definitely have some kind of almost how to's or like ways in which birth story processing can, can go that are less likely to re-traumatize and more likely to support integration. So maybe we'll do a whole podcast on that. Um, And I just want to add that I think one of the things that happens with most major life thresholds is that we, um, it's really hard for us to just like also treat it like another day. Like what if it's allowed to just be another day? And what if we're allowed to take all of the heat off of it and take it all the way, like turn the burner all the way down and just go like, this is a slow simmer. Like this is in the, in the whole, in the stew of my life, this is me throwing in one ingredient and that ingredient, like, uh, you know, we want to be like mindful with what we create in our lives and, and know that this is, is a, a, a powerful portal moment and that we deserve like inner child us and like long-term elderly us and all the us is in between deserve consideration and deserve support and deserve to have an experience that, that feels okay to us. And also it's also allowed to just be another day. Like it's also allowed to just be like neutral and be like, now I'm going to the hospital and like, this is weird. And like, oh, wow, now this is happening. Not into it. Wow, this is happening. That's funny. Like, that's what life is more like than these big sweeping moments that are like a reel on Instagram. Like life is more boring. <laughs> life is more weird and like awkward. And, and birth is allowed to be all of that as well. So your wedding is allowed to be all of that as well. Like standing there being like, this is like, this is happening right now. Like I remember like yesterday I was just like brushing my teeth and doing this and now I'm doing this. Like this is really epic, but also I'm just me in this moment. I'm just same me, same me that was doing the laundry, same me that'll do laundry tomorrow. Like same me, whole way through, same me. And so we love you. (laughs) I love same you. (laughs) And um, I will also say, uh, during this podcast, I did, I did just actually get a text from a client that, um, like literally the journey that they, they thought they were having now they're having a really different one. Mm. And so the, um, which, which means that our care will look really different. So Mm -hmm. if you are a, a doula listening to this, um, also just consider, consider that, that, we are not saying that all doulas should be postpartum doulas. In fact, we know that not all doulas should be and that some people's nervous systems are definitely more attuned to birth than post. Yeah. And we love you for it because we need people on all sides of, you know, all sides of the fight, all sides of the party, all sides of the threshold. And we hope that you can hear through this, that there's just so much beyond, so much beyond, and so much even more beyond that, that 
we hope this, this podcast inspires more birth doulas to uh, become more skilled in postpartum care skills for the moments that those are actually required because that is how the journey goes and or actually did not or and i want all <laughs> i want all birth doulas to have those skills truly may all birth doulas have those skills may all surgeons have the skills may all nurses have the skills and may we all like weave communities really tightly together of people that love to tend the postpartum side of the threshold. Amen. Leave a review, it's really helpful.